me a little bit better. If you spend time with me, I wouldn't be like this. I'm angry because my wife knows how to push my buttons. If she didn't say those irritating things, I wouldn't be so angry. Humans are odd creatures. We're all guilty of one thing or another, but no one wants to appear guilty or even feel guilty. So we do one of three things. We deny it, or we blame somebody else, or we blame our circumstances. What makes it so foolish is that everyone sees right through it because we all do it. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In his famous poem, The Hound of Heaven, Francis Thompson hauntingly described his desperate flight from God. He said that he was fleeing down the nights and down the days, down the arches of the years, down the labyrinthine ways of his own mind, and in the midst of tears he hid from God under running laughter. It's the story of all who reject and flee from the God who loves them. A story that began in the Garden of Eden. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Here's Pastor Steve now to continue our study of the fall of man. And do you realize that people still run today from the Lord? Still running from God. And they still run for the same reason. They fear judgment. They may not be aware of it. They may not be alert to it, but that's what's happened. Instead of running to him for salvation, they're running away from him. That's why the Bible says no man seeks after God. Nobody seeks after God. If anybody thinks that they're seeking after God, it's only because God has been seeking them and working in their hearts, and then they, they come to him. Now, this is so typical of us as, as the human race, but it is so absurd God is seeking us to forgive us of sal- for, for our sins, to forgive our sins, and yet we run from him. Why? Why is that? Why is that when we, we it's really absurd, it's a, it's a paradox, but sin is absurd. When you sin, you don't think clearly. This is completely illogical. You know that you fear judgment, and yet God has an answer for judgment, salvation, and yet you run from him instead of coming to him for the cure of the problem. Now, why is that? Well, I'd like you to look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, there's a few verses that give us insight as to why man is running. This is why when you witness to somebody, a loved one, a friend, a relative, and uh, you make things so clear to them, and they don't want Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is why. And and you may think, well, maybe I didn't explain it right, or um, I don't understand. Maybe they know something I don't know. Well, they don't know anything you don't know about salvation. Here's the issue. John chapter 3, following that great statement of salvation that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes would have eternal life and not perish. Right after that, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment that the light, meaning him, has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. That's the reason why people don't accept Christ, because they don't want to turn from their sin. They know oftentimes, they know they're sinners, they feel guilty, but they will not repent and come to Christ. That's precisely why. And they may have all kinds of intellectual arguments and sophisticated reasons, but behind that is this attitude. I don't want to leave my sin. I will not forsake it. And there is no salvation apart from that. There is no salvation apart from true, genuine repentance. And I want you to turn also one, one great verse, uh, passage of scripture, Revelation chapter 6, which illustrates 
what Jesus talked about in John 3, about men love darkness. Now, in Revelation chapter 6, the setting is this. It is the beginning of the tribulation period, that seven-year period of God's wrath being poured out on mankind. And uh, this is the beginning. It's uh, a number of judgments called seal judgments because he is breaking the seal of a book, of a scroll. And every time he breaks the seal, another judgment is issued forth. And it says in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 6, And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. Now, it didn't become blood. It became like blood. That's all he's saying. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, so there are meteors and things like that falling, as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. So it'd be a horrible time. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up and every mountain island were moved out of their places. So tremendous uh, earthquakes going on, shaking of the world, trembling. And the kings of the earth, meaning the leaders of the earth, and the great men and the commanders, probably meaning people like in the United Nations and that type of thing, and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. What's happening, there's earthquakes, so people hide. But notice this. They said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? woken up to the fact that God is pouring out judgment. It's been happening a little bit before this, but now they realize that these are not just natural catastrophes. God is behind this, and instead of running to him for repentance, they actually talk to their to, to nature and say, fall on us, hide us, hide us. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light, and they would they would sooner have have the rocks fall upon them and hide them than to actually come clean before God Almighty. That's how wicked, sinful man really is. Now, maybe you've been running from God, thinking that you can hide from him, thinking that you can get away, that you uh, can escape his judgment. You cannot. You cannot escape the judgment of God. And we don't often like to talk about this. We feel uneasy about this. But listen to what the scripture says. Psalm 69, verse 5. O God, it is thou who dost know my folly and my wrongdoings are not hidden from thee. God knows everything about you. God knows everything about you. You cannot keep anything from him. Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where can I go from thy spirit, or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there... Thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. You can't get away from God. You can try to escape, but you can't. You can't. Where can you go that God won't see you and deal with you? Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 26, Jesus said, everything that is hidden now will be revealed and uncovered. And then a tremendous statement in, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Listen to this. Hebrews 4, verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Meaning judgment. That's what it means, judgment. We have to someday, um, if you don't know Christ, stand before him in judgment. No creature is hidden from his sight. Now, you may not even have realized that you're running from God, but this is the result of sin, guilt, which leads to fear, which causes us to run through life without giving much thought to God. 
without giving much thought to God. And often, you know how we run? We become too busy. We become busy so that we don't have to think about this. We become preoccupied, busy making money, busy becoming workaholics, busy building a career, busy uh, uh, raising a family, and we're just too busy for God. But in reality, what it is is we're running from him. There is an uneasiness with us. There is an uncomfortable um, feeling that we have, especially, I'll tell you especially when it is. It's at funerals. Because funerals remind us that someday we got to stop running. Funerals are a vivid reminder of, of the stark reality that at death you cannot run anymore. Sooner or later, God makes sure that you stop and face him. And that's a very, very uncomfortable feeling. If you're running from God, afraid of what awaits you because of your sin, then what you need to do is just stop running. You turn around and you run to him to forgive you. It's what Adam should have done. He should have come said, Lord, I, I heard you and I'm running into your arms because look what I've done. Can you restore me? The Bible calls that repentance. It's an about face. That's what conversion is. You are running to him. And you know what? If you do that, you will run into the gracious, loving, outstretched arms of God who's been waiting for you. But that's not what Adam and Eve did, which leads to the third effect that sin has had on us. Sin results in guilt. It results in fear. It also results in excuses. And we, we started the message by that. Verse 11, but now we'll look at it a little more closely. Verse 11, and he said, meaning God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, once Adam mentioned his nakedness, he exposed himself as a fallen sinner. And God asked him this question, not once again, not because God lacked information. God is uh, omniscient. He knows all. He is all-knowing, all-wise. Not because he lacked information, but once again, to prompt Adam to see what he had done and, uh, and what wrong he had committed. In other words, to acknowledge his sin and to repent. Who told you this? God knew what was going on. But what does Adam do? God wanted to, uh, was prompting him to repent, be saved. What did Adam do? What most of us would do. He passes the buck. He says in verse 12, the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. He blames Eve. And in essence, he's really blaming God. The woman who you gave me, God, if you had given me somebody else, I wouldn't be in this predicament. If you hadn't stepped in and given me Eve, I'd be fine. That's a horrible thing that he did, but that's what many of us do. He blames God, also blaming the woman. Now, I think this is the beginning of marital conflict. If you've ever wondered where did it start, right here. I don't think their marriage was ever the same after this. He blamed her, and she must have blamed him for things, and uh, I see that so often in counseling. Rarely do I ever see, in fact, I don't see, where someone comes in and says, I'm the problem. Not him, just me. Or they come in and, um, and, and he says, I am the one to blame. She has not done anything. It's me. Never, in fact, never do I see that. It's always him or her. And if they got their act together, we'd have a good marriage. That's why Jesus, years later, said, take the log out of your own eye. Stop making excuses. But that's what Adam did. And, and Eve does the same thing in verse 13. She's learned from her husband. He's been the model for this. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, 
Well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's not my fault. I mean, after all, who made the serpent? You did, God, and actually, who made the devil? You did, so say, it's not my fault, it's the serpent. Folks, we really are the children of Adam and Eve. We really are because one horrible result of man's fall is that he constantly makes excuses for his sin. He blames others for his behavior. It's not my fault. My parents raised me this way. My parents are to blame. If my dad loved me a little bit better, he spent time with me, I wouldn't be like this. I'm angry because my wife knows how to push my buttons. If she didn't say those irritating things, I wouldn't be so angry. Or it's not my fault I can't control my sexual activity. It's my genetic makeup. Or how about this? It's not my fault that I can't control my sexual activity. After all, I prayed to God for victory and he didn't give it. It's God's fault. Because I prayed. Or how about this? I can't help it. I can't help my anger. I have a chemical imbalance that makes me this way. In fact, someone just told me this week that someone's very, very angry with them. And this person said to me, it's because they have a chemical imbalance. And I said, maybe it's just uh, old-fashioned sinful anger. You know, there's a novel thought. It was Will Rogers who said that the history of the United States could be divided, he said, into two eras. Era number one was the era of passing, the passing of the buffalo, and era number two was the era of the passing of the buck. And you know what? We're still in that era, the passing of the buck. And you know what? It's, it's not just the, the unsaved who do this. Christians do this. I have met many Christians who do not resolve conflicts in a biblical manner, and I'll tell you why, because they refuse to take the blame. They have an answer for everything. It's never their fault. Or if it's their fault, their apology would go something like this. Well, if I've done anything wrong. Have you heard that? If I've done anything wrong. What do you mean if you've done anything wrong? That's not an apology. That's not asking forgiveness. If I've done something wrong, uh, that that's just a, kind of a sugar-coated way of saying, let's try to make this right. But it doesn't make things right. But I've met many Christians, they just have an answer for everything. They're never wrong. They are never wrong. Um, many times... When I'm counseling couples who are uh, engaged and about to get married soon, I will say, uh, especially if they come from a Christian background, did you ever hear your parents ask you uh, to forgive them for something they did wrong? And many times, many, many times they have said, no, especially dad. Dad would never apologize. I just think that's tragic because you're really saying that I'm not like Adam and Eve. They sin, but I bypass me. The sinful genes didn't get to me. I think that's ridiculous. And so we need to be very, very careful of this to stop making excuses. We sin and we admit it. Now, why do we tend to blame others for our sin? Especially those who don't know Jesus Christ. It's because we desperately want to evade accountability and responsibility for our actions. If, if it's not my fault, then I can't be judged for it. If it's somebody else's fault, then I, it's not my responsibility and therefore God won't deal with me on this. But the Bible says that we alone are responsible for what we do. It is nobody else's fault but our own. Yes, people might encourage us. They might push us in that direction. But the Bible says we are responsible for our own actions. And where does it say that? Well, from cover to cover it says it. But if you want a specific verse, it's found in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God never tempts us. Now, he tests us. He tests us so that we'll pass the test and develop spiritually, but he never solicits us to evil. There's never the wrong motive that God uses. Satan does that. But each one, verse 14 says, is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when sin has conceived, it gives birth, uh, when lust rather has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Now, why would James say don't be deceived? Because how many of us are deceived into thinking that it's not my fault. It's somebody else's. And James says, don't be deceived. It's not God's fault. It's not your spouse's fault. Not your kid's fault. It's not your boss's fault. It's your fault. And sin requires judgment. It does require judgment. There is a legitimate reason to fear judgment. But you know what? Here's the great news. Here's the wonderful good news. God has already judged our sin in the person of Jesus Christ. It's already been taken care of. Now, you're not forgiven until you trust him, but the payment's already been made. How do we as fallen sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, how do we deal with our sin? If you, if you have never trusted Christ, this is what you do. Number one, before God, you admit your guilt. You are guilty. You are deserving of hell. You admit that. You admit that you're a guilty sinner and you don't try to hide it. And you don't make excuses. Number two, you stop running from God. You admit that you're a sinner, you're guilty. You stop running from God and you run to God. You, tr- you run to him, you repent, you turn from your sin and you turn to, to Christ. And then you stop making any excuses and you stand before him in prayer and you say, Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned. I am guilty. Please forgive me based on the death of, of your son, Jesus Christ. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Reign over me. I am a sinner. And you know what? The Bible says he will do that. He will forgive you. Jesus said, he who comes to me, I'll in no way cast out. And in the original Greek language, that is very strong words. I will never, ever, ever cast them out. But you've got to first come. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, it could be that you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, but sin's gotten the best of you. And you need to stop running as well. You need to admit your guilt. It's not anybody else's fault. It's yours. You've sinned. You need to confess it, repent of it, and stop making excuses. Well, I'm tired so much. I'm overworked. I mean, on and on it goes. Well, if this person in the ministry that I work in didn't uh, say this to me, or if they were nicer to me, I'd be a nicer person. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop making excuses because God knows that It's our responsibility to obey, and when we sin, it's our responsibility as well. Confess and repent. And really, that's what we learned today from Adam and Eve. We're their children, and we need to follow what the Word of God teaches us. Let's bow for prayer. If you are a sinner who's been running, today, I urge you to stop. I urge you to stop running. Stop running away, I should say, and run to him. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. Not by anything you do. All of our righteousness like filthy, filthy garments. Because we have no righteousness. But you can be robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that you are forgiven and God declares you in his sight righteous. 
but you've got to stop running. And you've got to stop making excuses. And you've got to stop passing the buck. And you've got to admit that you're a guilty sinner deserving of, of hell. God is just as gracious as he was to Adam and Eve to pursue them. He is pursuing you. And I urge you, if you've never trusted Christ, to do so. I'm going to lead us now in a prayer of salvation. If you would like to trust Christ, I'd like you to do that. I'm going to pause after every phrase so you can pray this. And then I would urge you after the service to come up to the front. Jack Jenkins, our associate pastor, will be here. And if you'd like to speak to him, some of our other leaders, about trusting Christ, we invite you to do that. Lord Jesus, I, I know that I am a sinner. I'm a guilty sinner before you. And I've been running from you. Today I want to stop running. And I want to come to you without any excuses. I trust that Jesus Christ died for my sin. That he's the only way to heaven. And based on his death, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for all of my wickedness. The sinful things that I've not only done on the outside, but inward attitudes. I ask you to come into my life. Rule over me as my Savior and my Master. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray that those who have prayed that prayer would let us know so we can help them. I thank you that today the angels rejoice because some are saved. And Lord, for those of us who do know you and we've been running and struggling with guilt, I pray that you'll bring such heavy conviction that it will stop and there'll be true, genuine confession. Lord, it may be that we have to go to somebody and, and ask forgiveness of them, that maybe some here have sinned against other folks and uh, they don't want to humble themselves. I pray that you would bring about true uh, humility, that they would do what's right. Lord, I pray that um, you'll help us as a people to not make excuses. In our, in our marriages, in our homes, at work, to just deal with our own sin. And I pray that we'll be honest before you. Because I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I once saw a uh, TV program about the Blue Angels and their training program. After each practice flight, during the debriefing, if any of the aviators had made even the slightest error, they would describe what they did wrong, and then they would announce that they had a plan to fix it. And then that pilot would say, I'm just glad to be here. We could learn from that, couldn't we? In fact, it's pretty much what Pastor Steve said a couple of minutes ago. Confess and repent. I'm glad you could be here today for Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff leads us in a series of lessons from Genesis chapter 3 about the fall of man. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside some Sunday, Pastor Steve would be glad to meet you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Call 727-441-1714 for more information or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That's lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. 
To listen again to today's lesson, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. On the Message Archive page, you'll find today's broadcast and hundreds of others that are there for you to stream or download. And if God's leading you that way, we have a convenient giving page where you can give securely to help keep Verse by Verse on the air. We thank you for your gifts and your prayers. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. In the past few days, we've seen that sin results in guilt, fear, and excuses. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will begin to consider another consequence of that first sin, the curse under which the whole universe still suffers. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. It's Andrew Southwick, and I want to tell you about the Deeper Faith Alaska Cruise happening August 28th through September 4th. On the Deeper Faith Alaska Cruise, you'll enjoy the splendor of God's creation while worshiping with acclaimed...